we put a picture on Instagram of just a mirror selfie that happened to have a bottle of Pedialyte in it. And then somehow the Pedialyte people saw it. And then by the next venue we got to, there was like a whole case of Pedialyte and some great boxing that has lights when you open it up. All sorts of swag. Pedialyte lights. Like Pedialytes. P- yes, Pedialyte. Yeah. That's kind of a tour staple, right? Pedialyte? I feel like it's a life staple. I mean, we always have it in the fridge or on tour. I don't think it's a thing that like most grown people drink on a day-to-day basis. Then that means they're not drinking enough at night. Like you drink Pedialyte in the morning when you're really hungover. Even though Pedialyte kept mentioning this cannot cure hangover, but we suggest you keep your electrolytes up and stay hydrated. I think there must have been some point where they realized they couldn't market a drink that was both for babies with diarrhea and for adults, adults with diarrhea. With diarrhea. <laughs> Are you guys New York lifers at this point? Yes. Yeah. I will say yes. Kim will say yes. We've just stuck, took one foot out of the city because we got a place in, in California as well now, which is what I'm all about at the moment. But Kim never wants to leave New York. I'm going to die in this house. I know both of you went to Pratt and Pratt's like a, it's like a stone's throw from here. You were in Williamsburg for a little while, but like you've been within it probably a 20 block radius for what, 10, 15 years at this point? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny because I actually just this year went to a friend's apartment in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking there, I realized this is the first friend that I've had that lives in Manhattan that I'm going to their house. And it just kind of blew my mind that everyone we hang out with is in Brooklyn. I mean, out of the how many million, at least three million people yeah. live in Manhattan. We don't know one of them. <laughs> what? Or at least it's just the only one who invited me over. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> All the other fancy folks are, are just trying to keep you at arm's length. You both ended up here as art students, I assume, if you're going to Pratt. Was yeah. That the- career path at that point? Yes. I thought I was going to be an illustrator and I graduated. I did one job for the New York Times and I decided I did not want to be an illustrator. You sort of went out on top. You kind of hit the peak (laughs) of illustration. It was very stressful. People spend their entire careers trying to get there and you got there and then you quit? Well, I I won't say it's the top. It was the op-ed page. I feel like that's not like the top. But it was was like in the solar system of the top. I was very excited about it. And I wish I figured it out sooner that I didn't want to do illustration, you know, after graduating. Maybe if I, like, figured it out midtime at Pratt. But, I mean, hey, I still, I design our album covers and merch and I still kind of illustrate. Well, the, it was the deadline and the feedback and and that stressed you out. I mean, you're a writer. I am. So, like, how do you... Oh, it's feel worse than about I'm a blogger. So yeah, so it's, it's like it, quick. life is a constant deadline. Yeah, there's ne- the deadline's yeah. always looming because you always need something new going up. And I've been writing professionally for you know probably like twelve or thirteen years at this point, and have mostly worked for publications. But you know, I've I've been laid off twice during that time, so I was forcibly made to be a freelancer, and that was just miserable with regards to hunting down jobs then doing them and then like trying to get the payment i mean the actual work as a freelancer is about half of what you're actually doing you can't plan anything because if a job comes in whatever you had planned is out the window you're like i i have to do this because i don't know when the next job's coming in it's stressful but i remember that even starting out with the band is that you always wanted to take everything that came your way yeah because you never knew 
when something else would come your way. And if you're lucky and, and people are excited about what you do, it basically means you never stop working. What ever. was the worst <laughs> thing that you took in the early days with regards to music? I, it was the worst thing we did, but I don't think it was because of us taking it. We played a Valentine's Day show really early on at a warehouse in Williamsburg. And I think we were just way off. And there weren't a lot of people there. And I remember that started the we will never play on Valentine's Day again. It started that. We had a number of Valentine's Day shows that were just awful. Because we're a couple, people would think of us to play their Valentine's Day event. And then we had to literally be like, we go dark on Valentine's Day. We disappear on Valentine's Day. There are certain obligations attached to that. This is like this is something that I've run into in my, my personal dating life of when you just start dating someone and it's right around Valentine's Day. There's a lot of pressure to have a really awesome Valentine's Day. See, I think Matt lucked out because I've never <laughs> grasped onto that. My tradition is you got to hit the pharmacies the day after Valentine's Day to get that 75% off candy. I yeah. didn't know where you were going with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that does, you're thinking the day after pill, maybe? No, I, I was the one who I tweeted this year, is Valentine's Day still a thing? To which I got numerous responses, which... You clearly have been in a relationship for a long time because, yes, early on, people seem to care. But you get in pretty deep over a decade. and But I never I was never one to like find that special. I remember once we were doing an interview and someone was talking about anniversaries and they're like, you know, do you celebrate your anniversary? And I was like, no, like didn't even think of that. And because they were like, oh, what do you what did you get each other for your anniversary? And I was like, you can get gifts. So then we started being like, oh, we should just buy something we want. And I remember that year we bought like a big flat screen TV and that was like a big deal. And we were like, it's because of it. It's our anniversary. It was back when you would call it a flat screen TV mm -hmm. and not just, just a TV. TV. Yeah. Because you can't get a non. But yeah, we didn't really know when we got together. It was a rough fall time. Wait, you said you were in a relationship or you are now or? I'm not right now. Okay. Because my question was, sure. when do you judge when a relationship, like an anniversary, if it's not a wedding yeah. related thing, which is a clear date, but it's when people, when you did it, Kim's the bang anniversary could be when you did it. it. Could I mean it could be like you know if it was a formal date, yeah. At some point, like if you you know went out to dinner or drinks or whatever the kids are doing these days, we, we like we have this date that it's from a movie stub ticket that I was like I guess around this point <laughs> we were dating, yeah. And so that's like what we use as the... When does the band come into the picture? Not till two years later, right? Yeah, two years. I honestly thought it was three years for the last, like, probably 12 years until right now. You're right. It was two <laughs> years we dated before we played any music. As far as, like, trial by fires go for being in a relationship, being in a van and touring around with someone. I mean, this is why so many bands break up, right? I mean, it puts you... You see people at their absolute worst. I mean, I've always said, like, if you want to really put a relationship through its paces, move in with somebody. You see people at their at their absolute worst. And I think that that must be it's got to be amplified when you're in, in a band with someone. Well, let me tell you, we moved in together two months after dating. OK, so it was, it was quick. But, you know, rents are expensive in New yeah. York. It's kind of like you have to do that if you're cheap. 
but you're right about the things being amplified. Yeah. It's like when you're in college and you have this one really fun friend and you say, you know what would be awesome? Like if we live with that guy, like <laughs> life would be so fun every day until I you lived, realize- I lived with that guy. Yeah, until like he ruined your like chill part of your life. Yes, being in a van or then a tour bus, if you have, it is amplifying everything times 10. Yeah. But with us, we were just two people who got along very well. And even we- worked really well together like we did art projects together and band posters for other bands and matt's homework did a lot of my homework and so we worked really well together and i think that was the important part because i had never played drums before and it kind of started because i was like i went to a show and i was watching the drummer and i was like that looks like fun i want to do that got a hand-me-down set from a friend and matt had a keyboard that he wanted to figure out so we just started together wait so you matt you were also kind of learning as you were going yeah i played guitar and bass in like punk and hardcore bands when i was a teenager but i never sang in a band sang i i screamed in a band (laughs) in a couple different bands and i never played keyboard or piano i'm still pretty bad at it but I do my best. When did it actually start to become serious? Not not the relationship, but it sounds like that was immediate. The being in a band thing. For us, it feels like it took a really long time. Like we were touring in Europe and we still kept being like, but we're not a real band. Like when you go through immigration and you have to write your occupation, yeah. it felt so weird to write musician. Even though we didn't have other jobs, but I was like, really? A musician? That's not like a real occupation someone can have. Because even growing up, being into punk rock and stuff, a lot of my favorite bands never made a living off playing music. So I... It just I never assumed it as a possibility. It was always just an expensive hobby, paying for a practice space in New York City. And, and how long after after we started the band was like, did we not have other jobs? I think maybe it was a year. I'm not sure. I mean, for us, it was easy to quit our jobs because at the time... And Matt made it sound like there weren't really jobs to well, quit. Well, I was a nanny at the time and Matt was working freelance as a doing After Effects for a TV show. You know, we shared a bedroom and an apartment with two other people. We shared a cell phone. We had a twin bed, like a bed made for one Mm -hmm. person. Why is it called a twin bed? Do we know this? A bed for one person? I don't know the etymology of beds, Matt. (laughs) I wish I did. I mean, we both wear glasses. We We look like people who know things. I I understand why you asked me. Yeah. But no, I I don't don't know. I just right before this. That's a really good question. Going on Somebody Twitter, right in. Yeah, yeah. I had to go ask. Okay, if I have a, a song that is eighty beats per minute and I want to slow it down to seventy-five beats per minute, what percentage less is that? You asked Twitter. I asked Twitter, and I got a lot of responses. Many of them different. <laughs> but it's what like I a realized... law of averages, right? It's like crowdsourcing, right? The one, the one the, yes. that the most people answer is probably the correct. difference was in the six point six 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 six, the devil's number. Okay. I remember like in math class thinking, this is not important stuff, but I wish I knew the equation that gets me to that because I kind of need to know that information often. Did you see my response? No. It said, speed it up, you fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. That's what she says about everything. I actually want to get back to the TV thing. I think it's interesting because when I first moved out here, I, I had three internships. I moved out here after college, unpaid internships, and was you know probably lived in like 
six or seven places in, in the first two years. So part of that is really being as mobile and lightweight as possible. Like the, the actual ability to move from apartment to apartment on the subway. And once you start buying stuff like a flat screen TV, right, you're kind of planning your flag. Is I that not look at it though? that way. I like that. As you get more and more belongings, you know, you buy a couch, you're, you're a little more sedentary. We lived on Grand Street in Williamsburg for a long time in a little railroad apartment that was eight feet wide. It was basically living in a hallway. We gave the address of this place out a couple times. Yeah. And uh, because it's been referred to across a number of our albums, and we had an album called Grand based on... The building's still there. It's still as fucked up as it ever was. Like, there's these really nice buildings built all around it, but it still is like looks like a disaster. We lived there in 400 square feet for close to 10 years. And you can only get so much stuff. It's fishbowl effect. Yeah. And then... Um, we're sitting in our house now, and each one of the floors of this house is bigger than the entire apartment, and there's four floors We here. had, like, a piece of furniture for every floor when we moved in. We're like, so, I guess we could buy some stuff. It's a nice feeling, though, right? Is it, though? Because I'm cheap. Man, now we got to buy a lot of stuff. This is a nice big building with multiple... You must feel like you achieved something at that point that you were able to move well, in here. Definitely. I've I'd never lived in a house. I've always grown up in apartments, and like the thought of a house was like, no, it's not going to happen for you. Like, Move along. So the fact that we're, we were able to do this by doing something that we absolutely love, and that... We would do for free. Like, but people will pay us. Don't, don't tell anybody. The microphone, Kim. <laughs> but like, we love doing it. It's so crazy. I keep thinking it's all going to come crashing down. I'm like, when is someone going to catch on? Or I don't know. You feel like you're still fooling people. Yeah. Oh, not like fooling people, but I'm just like, how is this my job? Yeah. Granted, we bought in a neighborhood that's was notoriously dangerous for many years. And... We bought at the bottom of the housing crisis. But I do remember... You actually can hear a siren in the background. Yeah. Turn the volume yeah. Up. But I do remember when we were still in Grand Street Apartment and we had been working so hard and we just felt like for so long, we're like, nothing's changed in our lives. We're still battling rats, cockroaches, uh, rat mites, which are like the scabies that live on rats. But if the rats die, then they come and eat you. These things happen to us. And then we got this place. And then like many places, it's, it was a money pit. And there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And then I was like, we made the biggest mistake of our life because we're a band, which isn't the most consistent job, I think. And we had paid too much. Whatever. I don't know. And Where are you going with this? All I'm saying is that finally... In 2018, I feel okay with this whole situation. Matt regrets every single purchase. He buys a pair of socks. He's like, I don't know if these are the right socks. Should I return them? I think I might return them. Sounds like me. I do this sometimes too, Matt. I was telling you before that 10 years ago, I lived you know, a stop away from here. And I went and visited it. I don't know. Like Every once in a while, I'll get a little bit of like a pang of... I don't know if nostalgia is, is the right word, but of just like of that time, you know, when I was like in my early 20s and when I was sort of living in a small apartment and scrambling to get by. I mean, there is like a certain level of romanticism to that that we kind of have bred into us through, you know, like through music and the books we read. There seems to be maybe a little bit of degree of that on the new record. Definitely. I mean, I feel like, well, one, I love 
I know it sounds weird, but I love when anything has a struggle that goes with it. And like, I feel like I enjoy the things we accomplish when they're really hard to accomplish, which maybe not in the middle of it when I'm like breaking down crying, but when all is said and done, you're like, you know, we busted through that and like we came out on the other side. Last year, I tore my ACL on stage and we had to take the whole year off and I had to have surgery and then go through rehab to be able to play again. And I'll say in the middle of it, there were a lot of tears shed, but I now feel like, man, like that was something that wasn't easy in our lives and we made it through it. And he was a champion throughout the whole thing, taking care of me. And I don't regret having to go through that, which is weird. You don't? (laughs) Well, I... (sighs) Not to give more compliments, but Kim was so tough about the whole damn thing. Make you guys say a bad thing about each other. Yeah, she's all over. It worked so hard, but I, I do think within that we we had really had like this different perspective that we haven't had for the past five albums. This was album number six. From the standpoint of things were going along pretty smoothly up till then. Things were great. I'm shocked how great things were going. But things are only as great as they are relatively to other things. I remember when your first record came out, whatever music magazine I was writing for at the time, and it came out on a small label. You guys were kind of everywhere all of a sudden. I mean, things, once that album came out, things kind of took off. Yeah. Well, there was... Maybe it doesn't always feel that way from the inside. Yeah. And I mean, and... I mean, I love the perspective, and I think from and and <laughs> your life but, seems easy, Matt. Is my no, point. but but being that you were within the music world, and it, that like so, our first album, which was just self titled, yeah. which is now is presently not really on the internet. Sure. Someday it will come back, but there's yeah. some what stuff. What was the name of the label? It was Comics or something. Comics. I Heart Comics I Heart was Comics. the so yeah. there's some behind the scenes stuff that of why it's we don't have it on online presently but there was there was a sort of arc to that that was the myspace generation we had a little song called yeah yeah that that got some love it got some feature on the old myspace and that's when we changed from playing in people's living rooms to starting to play in small venues but it wasn't until the next album grand which with mm. the daylight song and stuff came out that really it was like a ship but it was weird because I guess maybe because we we're in the middle of it, it never felt like a jump. It just felt like a gradual uphill. So, which was which I think is amazing, and yeah. that's how I want to continue. If if we're lucky enough, is just a constant slow upgrade instead of a jump up. Well, it's just so hard to maintain the jump. This slow slope, like a song like Daylight. While you know, I look on Spotify and it's whatever eighty million plays, but it, it seems to be listened to as much now as it was then. It wasn't like something that it never played on the radio when it first came out or anything. It, like, you know, I think it probably plays on the radio more now, yeah. but it, it's nice for not having some big jump and then fall down. You can drive yourself crazy, though, trying to figure out what it was about that song. I recently, for the show, I, I spoke to the uh, gentleman who is the lead singer of Space Hog, and like we we had to talk about the song. And, you know, he told me in his judgment, there's nothing really different about it it was the right song at the right time but if you try to get back to that you'll you'll make yourself crazy absolutely and i think i remember hearing an interview with the dudes from narlis barkley mm-hmm. uh, danger mouse and CeeLo, and they were just like we're not going to make another crazy yeah it was the right song a great song but right song at the right time and and 
everything that just made it take off. And we've realized. Do you, do you feel that way about daylight yeah, specifically? Yeah. I don't. I'm not. We don't chase it. We're, I'm happy it happened. I, I remember seeing also an interview with Sir Mix a lot about Babies Got Back and someone saying, You must hate that song, right? Everyone yeah. only wants that song. And he was like, Hate that song. I love that yeah. song. That song put my kids through college. That song, whatever. Like I'm. You walked so... up to this toy piano over here, and when you were playing it for me, like that was yeah. a riff that you played for me. Oh yeah, this no, is, I... this is what bought us the house. Oh, yeah. So no, I, I'm so thankful that I don't think if that song came out now, it would have the same reaction. It was yeah. recorded in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house in Vermont. Sonically, it doesn't sound like it's not hi-fi. It's very lo-fi. But it was just, I don't know, it all lined up. On the other hand, we have chased singles. Mm -hmm. Not to say that we think we would hit that level again, but we've chased singles. And I think a beauty of this album we just made is that we didn't really care about singles. We really just wanted to make an album that felt complete from the beginning to end, which is so backwards because everyone yeah. says, yeah. album's dead, man. Like, it's all about singles. It's all about, you know, songs on shuffle, but... I was like, I don't know. I want to make some short songs, some instrumental songs, some acapella songs. Like, let's just make an album. And I'm so proud of it. And the response from the fans has been so great. I want to get back to this idea of of chasing singles, just as far as investing all you have into one specific song and trying to make that a, a definitive document. Like a standalone, in a way. Something that can exist in and of itself in the world, perhaps in a car commercial. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, we had a point where we had a few different car commercials running at the same time. <laughs> and uh, again, I'm I would I never bite the hand that feeds me. I'm yeah. I'm so excited about people who are interested in using our songs and and a lot of the spreading of our music has been places has taken a chance mu- movies, TV shows, commercials. Yeah, to do individual songs that someone says, I think other people will like this. If you say that, you're going the wrong direction. Do you like it? Do you love it? Do you need to make it? That makes the difference. Kim, where were you at in the rehab process when you guys actually started making music again in earnest? I feel like it was maybe two months after surgery when it really started to come around. We thought like, okay, surgery happens. Week later, we start writing. That was not the case. That was Matt still helping me out of bed, like supporting my leg and like getting me to the bathroom because I had to pee really bad. I got off the painkillers really quickly because they were making me have panic attacks. So he would like wake up in the middle of the night to me slapping him saying like, open every window and door in the house. I can't breathe. As it's cold AF. (laughs) Um, And then I got super depressed. So we kind of like had to focus on just me, getting me back to normal before we started writing. Do you have an idea how long it was? I can't really remember. I think it was like two months. But again, all that, that whole time is kind of a blur. Do you feel like you're prone to that depression? From the outside, from somebody who like, you know, has listened to music for a long time, it's largely very happy positive music and you seem like largely very happy positive people is that the first time something like that really hit you yeah i i am usually really happy and that was my first time kind of dealing with some heavy depression and i didn't i couldn't understand what was happening at first like i wasn't the other thing i was like i make art now and i was like oh while i'm stuck in bed i'll like do stuff i couldn't do i didn't do anything i just kind of you know what like, anhedonia is you know that term it's just part of depression when it when it starts getting really deep in where you're unable to derive enjoyment from either creating or consuming art 
Ah. Is that what it was? I mean, it just no, wasn't. Definitely. Because like, you sort of get, you get in this like ex- existential tailspin, right? Of like, what's the point of all of this? And, yeah. No. And it just like, there was no desire. There was, I don't know. It was, it was a whole new experience for me, yeah. which I'm happy I went through just because I can now relate to people who are going through it and like fully understand where before if maybe if I was PMSing I was a little bummed out but I'm like I'd go for a run and then I'd be fine after the run so this yeah I got super bummed out which wasn't fun but again it it inspired different angles of music and and there's a song called happy if you're happy which was again never meant to be a single it's a minute and 45 seconds but we noticed it creeping up our Spotify top 10 till it was it was at number two. Maybe it's like in number three right now. But you're really, you're really watching those charts, aren't you, Matt? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, but here's the thing: is like I'm just so interested in what people like. That's that's the thing that really because you just don't know when you're when you're working on something. The thing was that song was written like was just saying I can't be happy unless you're happy, and it's it's something I was not fully aware of because you're always so <laughs> chill. <laughs> but I don't know. And then again, in my like. Looking back at the injury, that song would have wouldn't have come about if I was just my happy self. <laughs> I wish I wish the listeners could see Kim's little happy <laughs> self happy dance. Hands. We'll make a gif of that for, <laughs> for the show. The difference between you know you said like like PMSing before, even like you know like having a bad day or any, or anything else is the knowledge that like you're going to come out of this. Yeah, when you're really sort of dealing with something like that really hard for the first time in your life, you don't really know if or when it's actually going to end. No, that's so true. And it's funny because it took me a while to understand PMS. Like now on tour, if I'm PMSing, I'll put a note on the bus door that tells all our dudes like, (laughs) you might want to avoid me this week because I could probably be like irrational and snap about some stuff, but I'm just PMSing. And it's funny because like things will happen and I'll be like, why did I just get so frustrated? I'm like, oh, I'm PMSing. And you can kind of put yourself in check. And be like, ah, like, stop overreacting about this. And with getting depressed, no, I couldn't. I was like, this is our life now. Like, And it was also interesting when we came back to the East Coast and I went home to see family. I went to visit my aunt. And when I left, she sent me an email and she was like, I don't I don't know how to say this, but it's just it's like you've lost your spark. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't me. Like, this isn't how I normally am, which was helpful because it made me like focus on it and just kind of think like, all right, I'm going to get through this. Was there an emotional or like a personality shift when you guys really put yourselves back into music? I got happy. <laughs> I was, it was like it was like turning on. No, a light. no, it's all it's all blurry. But I think that was just it maybe was part of the recovery process. Yeah. It's funny because what since the beginning of music, it's been used as some form of therapy as, you know, the blues. And I mean, that's not even the beginning, but you go way back and it's just all, so much hurt that people are getting out. We just never used it for the that. blues is a, is a really good example. I, I had a woman on my show from from Molly uh, recently and she was. You know, discussing, I mean, she, like she deals with some really rough subject matter, like female circumcision, things of that nature. And she said that she was really leaning heavily on American blues music because that's a really good example of something. It's not just about dealing with heavy subject matter and being cathartic from that standpoint, but there's something really special about music in that it's one of the few mediums that really you can do something like that where you can deal with something really heavy and still make it 
happy or energetic at the same time. That's true. And that's that's been a thing we've done for years, mm. even which is take upbeat music and maybe have a little bit darker lyric. There's I think back to like a song like Lessons Learned, where it's thinking about tomorrow and change how I feel today. But da 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 na 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 <laughs> Our whole thing was always we thought if we make upbeat music and we write upbeat lyrics, it's just gonna be like swing sets and lollipops it's gonna be like too like uh just grow like it needs to have some something to ground it something to make it feel more real and i think when we've gone with the upbeat music and the upbeat lyrics it just feels like doesn't have a base to it one thing that's always struck me about your songs from a lyrical standpoint is i think a lot of them i suspect a lot of them almost start like as as a mantra you know as somebody who's like has flirted and been really terrible with meditation, this idea of kind of having a mantra, right? Something you repeat over and over again. A lot of them really seem to have this kernel, this this sort of one idea that forms the basis of the song. That There's a lot of gang vocals on this record, right? There's, there's a lot of chanting. There's a song, I don't know the name of, of the song off the top of my head, but there's this idea of, I would rather be above the grass than below it, basically. And it seems like something that really sort of started as a mantra and a song was built around it. That's that's I mean, you really nailed it on that. That's I'd rather be standing on the grass than lying under it, which it was that that lyric. And then we wrote the song around it. My most recent mantra, should we make this a song? I've been telling Kim that (laughs) I can't stop hitting the snooze button and I wake up and I sing, I'm a lazy piece of garbage, short and stout. And I just sing that over and over to me until I get out of bed. I don't have more than that, but it's I'm a lazy piece of garbage, short and stout. Uh, but yeah, I, it's funny you point out that one. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, but that song happened that way. But I think that's from that year of being like, okay, everything sucks. I'm never going to get out of this. And then slightly seeing like a light at the end and being like, okay, we're getting closer. Like, this this could be okay. The thing that really strikes me about that song is, you know, it's a positive, it's a positive sentiment, obviously, but you very much have to acknowledge death <laughs> in order to come to that positivity, right? That's basically half of the equation of that mantra. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I was surprised at how much mortality came up across this album. We didn't even realize we were covering it that much until we like were looking at all the songs and what all the lyrics were, were like, damn, we was thinking about death a lot. But I also, I don't, I don't know, I think that's what happens when things aren't going great with someone. You do start to think about things like death. And maybe it's not even death, it's it's about an end. Yeah. It's about the end of an era. Maybe it's not death like life or death, but like, what if we didn't get to do this band anymore? Which is what I've known my entire adult life. And and that year we didn't and it was the first year ever like that and i just wasn't ready for that there's a positive element to thinking about that in that you know hopefully if things work out you're not taking them for granted but is that something that that you guys are you know very sort of hyper conscious about when each album comes out that you know maybe there might not be another one that this opportunity might not come around again dude each album i do it every show i'm like we might never play this town again i need to make this the best show this town has ever seen like I do that every single day. <laughs> it's it's weird. I don't know how many years it's going to take us to accept that we get to do this. But every between every album, we're like, hope other, I hope people listen again. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think it's really great not to have too much expectation. I think mm-hmm. that was something that always worked out well for our band, which like as we started this off saying, 
never thought we'd make a living doing this. So there's some people that are like, we're going to be the best band ever. Everyone's going to love it. We're going to win Grammys. We're going to whatever. Chances are you're setting yourself up for a career of disappointment with that mindset. But everything was just icing on the cake. As I was coming in, I saw the two moon men on the uh, on the mantle out there. You're okay if that that's sort of the peak of success? Yeah. I mean, we got two moon men. That's crazy. <laughs> never would have thought that happened. Yeah. Actually, when we were up for the award, they were like, we had a tour planned. And they're like, do you want to come to the ceremony? And we're like, oh, we have a tour. Like, I don't want to cancel the show. Yeah. Um, like, you assume that you guys weren't going to oh, win. Obviously, <laughs> we're not going to win. I remember getting the call as Matt was backstage blowing up balloons. At the time, we used to, like, blow up 50 balloons ourselves and fill garbage bags with them to throw out into the audience. And so I, like, heard the news, ran backstage, told him. And, like, I don't know, it was one of those things where we were like, whoa, that's so awesome. Matt's like, okay, I, I got to go back to blowing up these balloons, though, because we're going to go on stage soon. Like, so cool. <laughs> and <laughs> life. <laughs> if it's not this idea of getting bigger and better with each subsequent album, what, what do you feel drives you as a band? I, I mean, I guess we love doing this and we get to make music that we want to hear. I mean, my whole thing, like, we don't have any expectations. And I don't expect... Like, I don't, not everyone's going to love our music. That's the great thing about music. There's so many different genres, so many different types of music. But, like, if I had, like, man, one thing, I would like everyone just to give it a chance. And that would make me happy. But the, the other thing about our, you know, our path is granted the music sort of like we've had peaks and valleys and then ups and downs. But the thing is our live show has just, the people who come has just grown steady. Mm-hmm. For the course of all of these years, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I feel like I love like what Flaming Lips has gotten to do. Like their biggest single, well, other than the one they had in the 90s that was on the radio, yeah. which was probably their Jelly biggest song. single. Yeah. Yeah. But after that was, you know, Do You Realize? <laughs> but that was even 15, 16, 18 years ago. I yeah. don't know. It was a long time ago. And it was big by our standards. Yeah. But they've still, you know, they still headline festivals and they still have this great live show that people love. And something that came to my attention is that music as a recorded format, what would we say it's been around? 150 years? Sure. However old Edison Other than is, that, yeah. music's been around probably yeah. since people could tap on a rock or hum a melody. Music's always existed as a live format. And... For us, I think that's probably the way we're best consumed. People really, the way they connect to our live show uh, means so much to me and, and the way it's grown over all the years. So as long as we get to keep doing that and the growth in that is very satisfying to me. And I will say, I mean, out of recording or playing live shows, I like to play live better. It's more exciting to me. That's what I hope for, too. This can just we can just keep playing live until we can't play live no more because we're dead. <laughs> so Back is, to death. <laughs> but this is something you guys think you you would like to just keep doing. Yeah, as if, long as you're standing. If we stayed like you know in that sense, if this is you know the type the size venues we do, if that's what it was, I'm fine with that. There's no like, oh, if we could just play in an arena or a shed, like. But I do think shed being what you should call the outdoor amphitheaters yeah, and yeah. stuff. <laughs> But I do think that it is tough for bands to 
start playing smaller venues than yeah. they once did. I think that would be really tough. We've been at a lucky point that it's either grown or maintained or whatever that we haven't like had to scale back down. And I, I do see that happen with bands that even when they're really freaking successful, but they're a little bit less successful than they once were. As far as the live space goes, sometimes it just starts causing fights. They start firing people, trying to figure out what the thing is. But it's the way music works, you know. And not everyone can be the Rolling Stones. Pretty much only the Rolling Stones can be the Rolling Stones, I think. It's as enjoyable of an endeavor as it's always been. Oh, definitely. Maybe a little more sometimes. Because we're luckily we're at a point where we work with an awesome group of people and... I don't have to carry my drums in anymore. <laughs> That's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's funny. It's like even when we think back, because we've sort of been spanning that time back to the grand album and everything like that. That might have been the hypiest time. But we were still playing in small rooms, hoping people would come to the shows. And we were still driving around in a van. And my back, I have a bad back, <laughs> killing me from bringing amps in and stuff like that. It's weird how the grass is always greener. I did wish someone told me being a new buzzy band only happens once. Enjoy it. Like, I want to say that to other young bands because, like, yes, things get better, but it's fun to have that new buzzy moment. But it can't happen more than once. I was talking to a friend who had foot surgery on, on both of her feet, and it's that whole thing of really taking for granted the fact that you can walk. All of these things that we take for granted in life until something comes along and, and robs us of them. The fact that you had a really shitty, really shitty year, has it made, has it sort of heightened your appreciation for all that you do? Definitely. I mean, just to the fact that as before this all started, we were debating if my lazy ass was going to wake up and work out in the morning. Of course it is, because I can wake up and go work mm. out in the morning. Even walking down our stairs, like things that I'm not just struggling, the easy things I'm not struggling with is very nice but it's but also as far as as doing the music i remember we'd go to a show at a bar to you know just a handful of people in the audience kim's like i want to play so bad <laughs> so just seeing like being able to get something taken yeah. away from you but then able to get it oh, back yeah. that was the worst is like when we were finally going out at night and going to see friends bands play and just being like i just want to be up there that's all i want to do so just think when it's all said and done yeah be awful i got real sad guys <laughs> well i had this one moment when we had just taken um a little bit of a break before what was it what year did we play coachella last 2016 right so we took a break that winter and then we were doing some interviews beforehand and they were doing this whole lean on like uh 360 vr stuff and they gave me the we were doing an interview and they put on the vr headset and just had me on asap rocky's stage and I had this moment then, like I was 70 years old and been like, man, remember when I got to do this? This is so cool. And I'm like, wait, I still get to do this. So dope. <laughs> Thanks so much to Matt and Kim for taking the time to do that and hosting me in their absolutely beautiful Brooklyn apartment. Thanks to Sheila, Dickie, and Kevin for helping set that up. 
You can check out Matt and Kim's new record almost every day. It's out now. Highly recommend it. Thanks so much to everyone. Thanks to you guys as always for listening to the show. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. And stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.